Our reading this morning is from the Old te- uh, t- uh, Testament in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30. When all these things and curses I have set before you come upon you and you take them to your heart, whatever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything I command you today. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your fathers and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers for the Lord God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate <coughs> excuse me, who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I'm giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. For the Lord will again delight you, delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your fathers if you obey the Lord your God and keep your commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Thanks, Ron. Uh, It's a privilege to open God's Word with you, and it's a privilege to do it in another church. Uh, So thank you for having me. Uh, Deuteronomy 30 is a great chapter. We're going to look at the chapter over the next uh, two weeks, so this week and next week. Uh, This week we'll focus on verses 1 to 14, and the next week we'll have a look at the rest. So let's pray as we come to God's Word. Gracious and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much that you have revealed yourself and your purposes for us in your Word that your plan for salvation is clearly seen from the beginning of creation to the coming of new creation. Our Lord, we thank you so much for this passage in Deuteronomy and we pray that your spirit is at work in us to help us understand it and to help us live it out. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. me. I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, it's a true story. Uh, it's about a guy I know. Uh, I've known him for, uh, for since I've been in college, really. Uh, his name is Dave. Uh, now, about 10 years ago, uh, Dave was a younger Christian man. <laughs> uh, he had just gotten married uh, to a wonderful uh, Christian girl. What, what Dave didn't know uh, was that while at his wedding, 
cancer had already taken hold of his best mate. Uh, So life was just beginning for Dave and his wife when the news broke. And it wasn't long uh, before Dave was visiting his friend in hospital for the last time. He died a few months after they were married. And then the year rolled on uh, for Dave and his wife. It obviously hadn't been the easiest start to marriage. Uh, But their first wedding anniversary was only around the corner. Uh, And then one night Dave was out for a drive with his wife. Uh, It had not been... uh, Sorry, uh, out for a drive with his wife. Uh, They were heading to the shops uh, to get some dinner. Uh, But Dave didn't see it coming. Uh, The other car appeared out of thin air. Uh, There was nothing he could have done. Uh, Dave lost his wife that night, about a week or so before their first wedding anniversary. Uh, The kicker, if if that wasn't bad enough, Dave's younger brother was in the back seat. He too lost his life that night. Within the space of 10 months, he had lost his best mate to cancer and his brother and wife of less than a year in a car accident. What do you reckon happened to Dave's faith? How do you think your faith in a good and loving God, as we know him, would hold up if you were in Dave's shoes? Now, I want you to hold on to that thought. And we'll come back to Dave's story at the end. Uh, Deuteronomy 30 While it doesn't use the word faith, that's exactly what it's all about. Uh, It's about the heart of faith. Now, when I say heart, I don't mean the centre of faith. That's Jesus. We we know that. Uh, What I do mean, it's about a faithful heart. So I've got two points for us today. Uh, The first point is that a heart of faith is a heart that turns. And the second point is that a heart of faith is a heart that loves. Now, before we actually get to the text, let's set the scene for Deuteronomy 30. I've kind of jumped in at the end of the first five books of the Bible, a kind of crucial, not that all the Bible's crucial, isn't it, but a very uh, crucial part of the Bible anyway. Uh, God has saved Israel out of Egypt. Uh, the Exodus, it's you know, that, the great saving act of God that becomes this paradigm for the rest of the Bible. Uh, and then, after saving Israel, he gives them the law. Now, getting this order right is fundamental for understanding the Old Testament and the Bible. God saves Israel and then gives them the law to show them how to live in relationship with him. Not the other way around. It's not like God said, you know what, here's the law, see if you can keep it, and then I'll think about saving you. No. God in his grace saves Israel first. The call for love and obedience that Deuteronomy just drips with is the proper response to a gracious God who saves by grace. 
Now, the first generation of uh, Israelites, they didn't get it. They stuffed up big time. Uh, you probably know the story. Uh, so God sent them wandering the desert for 40 years. And now the next generation has all grown up. And here we are. Israel is on the verge of entering the promised land. Moses has just laid the terms on them of living in that land. Chapters 28 and 29. If they keep the covenant, all will be good. Blessing. If they break the covenant, curses. God's going to kick them out. And being kicked out of the land is the same as saying being kicked out of God's presence. The land was very important to Israel. Then we come to chapter 30. Now this chapter is really interesting at this point because it looks to the future and not to the immediate future of Israel entering the land but to a time beyond that. The chapter begins with Moses talking about how the blessing and the curses, linking it to the previous two chapters, uh, like I've already mentioned. Uh, And notice how it begins. It says, when, not if. This is a certain future. God is giving us a window into what's going to happen. Moses is speaking of a time in the future when Israel will have had a taste of both the blessing and the curse. The passage is clear. It's looking to that time when Israel will have been kicked out of the land and on the verge of a return to God. Uh, Verse 1, you can see in verse 1, it talks about wherever the Lord has scattered you. Verse 3 talks about the Lord gathering Israel from the nations where God had driven them. The motivating factor in verse 3 for God bringing them back is his compassion. And then verse 4 emphasizes this, highlighting the lengths that God will go to to bring him back. Have a look at verse 4. It's up behind us. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you. What grace. There's... No rock anyone can hide under. If God wants you, he's going to get you. He will go to extraordinary lengths to bring us back. Indeed, that's exactly what he did. The Son of God left his place at the Father's side in heaven. He he literally rolled, well, not literally, but virtually rolled up his sleeves. He got became human, got his hands dirty, subjecting himself to all that it means to be human and suffered the most horrific and torturous death to bring us all back. So what is the proper response to a God like that? First point. A heart that turns, a heart that turns back to God. The passage is littered with turn or return type words. It's the same word in Hebrew. Uh, If you have a look at some verses with me, pardon me. Uh, Now the the NIV doesn't always translate the word return, but it captures the sense. Uh, So as we look at these verses, also notice the link of Returning or turning to the Lord and obedience. So verse 1 says, 
when all these blessings and curses come upon you and you take them to heart. Literally, it says, return them to your heart. Take them on. Verse 2, when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul. And notice how it continues the idea of when, not if, in verse 2. And that expression, all your heart and all your soul, is like a, a catchphrase for everything you've got. Verse 8 says, you will again obey the Lord. Literally, it says, you will turn and obey. Verse 10, uh, the NIV begins with if, uh, but I think it's best translated when. It continues the sense of the passage that it's a future certainty. So when you obey the Lord your God and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Same language of return and and, and returning is used of God as well uh, in verses 3 and 9 as he returns the people from the land. Turning is a big theme in Deuteronomy 30. The word appears a lot. Uh, The passage is looking to a time when the people of God, after a time of rebellion, will turn their hearts back to God. A heart of faith is a heart that turns. Has your heart turned back to the Lord? You might have, no doubt you've heard the expression, home is where the heart is. So where have you made your home? Jesus said essentially the same thing. He says in Matthew 6.21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do you treasure most in this world? Is it Jesus? Or is it something else? Israel at this point is about to enter into a land where they're going to be faced with some mighty big challenges. They're going to be tempted to worship other gods. Idols. That's the culture that they're going into, the culture of the Canaanites. And we know the story. They fail. Their hearts are captured by something other than God. What has captured your heart? Our culture really isn't that different today from the Canaanites back then. Sure, we don't have little statues in our house that we bow down to. Or do we? Television sometimes uh, can be like that. Idols of money. Money is going to provide everything that we want and need. Security in this life. Uh, one of my favourite ads of recent times has been the uh, AMP superannuation ad, where it says, "You can own today." Uh, sorry, you can own tomorrow today. What security it offers. What other gods are calling and seducing you to worship them? Maybe it's lifestyle. Heaven's Head's a nice place to live. You know what I reckon the sneakiest idol is today? Yourself. How much do we put ourselves before anything else? 
How much do we think we're the most important thing? I mean, that's all the advertising you see on TV. Rams at home. You are the most important thing. They're powerful idols that we fall so easily into worshipping. Turn your heart back to God. Turning your heart back to God is, is clearly linked with obedience in the chapter. A heart of faith is a heart that turns back and says, not my way, but yours, Lord. It's a heart that says, you know what? I'm not going to look at that website. It's a heart that says, I'm going to be faithful and report all my tax. It's a heart that says, Lord, you know best. It's a heart that says, Jesus, you are Lord and I will submit to you. What if you faced a tragedy like Dave? Would your heart turn to the Lord? The heart of faith is a heart that turns. Now, the second point we're coming to is inextricably linked with the first. You can't really divide them. A heart of faith is a heart that loves. And verse 6 is a crucial verse for this chapter. Let me read it for you. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Now, I've already mentioned how that expression with all your heart and with all your soul is a a catch phrase for everything you've got. And it's repeated three times. I don't know if you picked that up in the reading. It's repeated three times in verses 1 to 10. It's in verse 2, verse 6 and verse 10. Now, I think the passage is trying to tell us something when it does that. What is it trying to say? It's saying that loving the Lord is not about a warm, gooey and fuzzy feeling you get on the inside. It's not like a home and away type love. It's love that first and foremost finds its expression in obedience. How can I tell if you love the Lord? You do what he says. The heart of faith is the heart that loves, which is a heart that obeys. And you get that because the other two expressions, verses 2 and 10, link that. The idea of obedience with loving the Lord. But you can't do it, can you? Not by yourself. You can't, you can't turn your heart. You can't love the Lord if it's up to you. That's exactly what verse 6 says. You can't do it unless the Lord circumcises your heart. A heart that loves the Lord is something, not something you can do. It's just another outworking of God's grace. The love that God requires of you is the love he enables you to show. Verse 6, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that, very important words, so that, for the purpose of, that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul. 
live. We're going to look more at what it means to live next week. What does it mean that God will circumcise your hearts? Well, for this, there are two other key passages that Deuteronomy 30 falls in line with, and they're Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36. Some of you may know them well. These passages were written at a time when Israel had rebelled against God. They're either on the verge of being kicked out, or in Ezekiel's case, they had been kicked out. And they prophesy of a time when God will write the law upon the heart. He will perform an amazing heart surgery, replacing hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. And he'll put his spirit in them. Why? So that they will love the Lord God and follow him and obey his commands. Deuteronomy 30 is looking forward to the time of the new covenant. It's looking forward to the time here and now, among us. And this is made even clearer uh, by looking at verses 11 to 14. Now, the NIV has those little headings sometimes, and, and the heading there gives the impression that perhaps it's disconnected from verses 1 to 10. They flow on. And at first, these verses are perhaps somewhat strange. Let me read them for you. Moses says uh, in verse 11, The commandment will not be too difficult or beyond your reach. And then it continues, It will not be in, in heaven so that someone need ask, Who will ascend for us to the heavens and receive it for us and make us hear it that we may do it? Nor will it be beyond the sea that someone need ask, Who will cross for us beyond the sea and receive it for us and make us hear it that we may do it? For the word will be very near to you, in your mouth and in your heart, in order to do it. What do they mean? Well, think about what Moses in Israel had to do to receive the law. Moses in Exodus ascends Mount Sinai, and the picture in Exodus there that's painted is as if Moses is actually ascending into heaven. Before they even got to Mount Sinai, what did Israel have to do? They had to cross the Red Sea. Are you starting to see? Are you starting to understand what is being said? In the future, to receive the law, they will not have to climb another Mount Sinai. They will not have to cross another Red Sea to receive the law. Why? It's going to be so close, it's going to be in your heart. Echoes Jeremiah 31 again. You see, even at this point, God is revealing that Israel is just a step in his plans. A step in his plans for salvation that climaxes in Jesus. Now have a look at how Paul interprets these verses in Romans chapter 10. I'll just read them for you quickly. Starting at verse 5, he says, Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. It's from Leviticus. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ... Sorry, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is, 
the word of faith. The word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you, uh, that you confess and are saved. For Paul, the word that will be in your heart in Deuteronomy 30, verse 14, is the word of faith. It's all about faith. In Deuteronomy 30, the heart that turns, the heart that loves, the heart that obeys is the heart of faith. And the beautiful thing is that this heart is a gift from God. I mean, it's precisely the the point. Israel failed and failed and failed. And God, even back then, knew that he would need to do some pretty amazing things, some heart surgery. God's plan always looked forward to the coming of Jesus. If faith were up to us, if faith was something that we actually did and brought to God, apart from him, that it wasn't a gift, we wouldn't be in, uh, we'd be in pretty big trouble. We'd be up a creek without a paddle. It's a work of grace. It's a work of spirit that changes our hearts, gives us new birth into a living hope. A hope that will one day be fully completed in the resurrection and the new creation. The heart surgery that was needed enables us to turn to God instead of continually turning away from him. The heart that believes in the resurrection and the mouth that confesses Christ as Lord are two of the most precious gifts from a gracious God. It's all about his grace to us. Nothing we can do of ourselves. Has God circumcised your heart? Has God performed heart surgery on you yet? If he has, praise him forever and ever. If not, or even if he has, it's still a good thing to pray for. Please, God, circumcise my heart. Rip out my heart of stone. Give me a heart of flesh that I may believe and love and obey you as I should. What happened to my mate Dave? If I were in Dave's shoes and my faith was solely dependent upon me, it wouldn't have survived. But by the grace of God, Dave's faith made it through. God had circumcised his heart. He was able to love God even through the immense suffering he had. And I'm sure he asked God why. I'm sure there were moments where he broke down and was utterly distraught, of course. But he came through, faith intact. He actually ended up remarrying a few years later. Graduated from Bible college, has a couple of children, runs a Christian bookstore that I frequent uh, every so often in Sydney. Amazing story. And to me, such a testimony that faith 
is something that God gives us, not something we do of ourselves. What a gracious God we have.